I'm very excited about today's message. This is part two of our series called Proximity. Uh, the title is A Temporal Eternity. Romans chapter 8, 28, I want to go through one more time uh, with you guys. First of all, I want you to see where Paul is coming from. He says, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God and those that are called according to his purpose. Somebody say, it's all good. So the first thing that we need to know right off the bat is we're excited, right? We're talking about something good. I know you love God. I know you're called according to his purpose, even if you haven't accepted it. And that means all things work to good. All things. Well, I'm going through something right now, brother. That's, I, I, I'm sorry for that. I hate that you have to go through things, but all things work to good. I don't care what it is. I lost my job. All things work to good. I'm having financial issues. All things work to good. I'm going through a divorce. All things work to good. I'm having trouble with my kids. All things work to good. That doesn't mean that we walk around like happy-go-lucky robots uh, who are shot up with rainbows 24-7 and just talking about how everything's good and we don't have any problems. Oh, it's all good, brother. It doesn't matter. It's all good. I don't care that I have no finances. I'm in debt and my wife's leaving me and my kids hate me. It's all good. Smiles and fakeness. We're not about that. Sometimes it hurts and it's okay. That's what we learned last week. Proximity part one was tied in tinsel. And if you remember, quick review, we talked about Roche's limit, large bot celestial body, small celestial body, God being the sun, us being the moon, symbolism, and how when a small body approaches a big body, it either retains its shape because of its own strength, which is what we don't want to do, or it gets obliterated by the strength of the bigger object when it approaches a certain limit, which is what we saw when the woman with a woman with the issue of blood fell down on her knees and reached out and touched his garment as she approached Christ. She was broken, which is what we saw as uh, Jarius, who had the daughter who was dead, who Christ was on the way to resurrect her. When the lady reached out that he came and he had to come in a, in a submissive form and fashion. We see that when people come to Christ, they love him. They believe in him. But as they approach him, they're broken. And he even made a statement and said, the doctor doesn't come for those that are well. The doctor comes for those that are sick. So I'm not here for the Pharisees and the Sadducees that are so strong in themselves that they can keep it all together. I'm here for those that are broken. Yes. So I can't fix you if you don't know that you're broken. So it's okay to be broken, right? And we even read some scriptures straight up out of the word of God that talk about how God requires brokenness and God requires a contrite spirit, those things. So part two of proximity that was nearness of relationship. This is in a nearness of time. And it's very, very exciting. First of all, it's all good. 828. 829. This is where things get a little bit confusing. Because there are a multiplicity of theologies that have made their rounds in Christian circles. And I don't want to spend too much time uh, pounding away on theology because we do that every once in a while. And I think we've done that lately um, enough, but for those of you that are visitors or haven't heard, um, real quickly, theology we believe in as a, as a tool. Theology we do not believe in as a mandate. In other words, if somebody came up with a theological concept like Calvinism, okay, there's a, it's a tool. Maybe it's a tool that can help us understand to some degree, if you're not familiar with Calvinism, it's basically predestination on steroids. And you can learn a little bit about it. And it can be a tool when somebody says, well, well, let's look at what Calvin taught and we can learn a little bit about what God might mean in way of a commentary on predestination. That's a great tool. But when it becomes a mandate, it's you can't be part of our group. You might not be going to heaven. You don't understand the word of God and you don't understand God if you're not a Calvinist. 
Now that's way out of bounds. The opposite argument is Arminianism, which is basically another word for free will. And again, great tool, because you can look at what the Arminian people believed, and you can learn a little bit about why we talk about free will being in the Bible, which it obviously is. The salvation is for whomsoever will. I'm willing that all men should come to repentance and knowledge of God. He says that over and over again. So we know that free will is in there. We also just read about predestination, which means we have some good tools to pound some things out. But once we take one of those tools and make it a mandate, then we start doing God's job for him, and we're never very good at that. So we don't want to do that. So where does the argument end? And I think Romans chapter 8, verse number 29 is really the nail in the coffin, if you will, um, for what God means by predestination and what God means by free will. See here in verse 29, it says, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. Well, what does it mean? First of all, what does the term predestinate mean? You break it down, it means predestiny. In other words, a destiny that was placed there before. Before what? Before you were born. Before you accepted him. Before anything. That's absolutely true. God does that. He places destiny on your life before you ever had the chance to really make a decision. So if he just said, I predestinate people, then we have a problem. Because then we'd have to admit that we never have any choice. And God creates some people to go to heaven and some people to go to hell. Which doesn't sound much like God. But sounds a lot like five-point Calvinism and tulip teaching. So they don't want to say it that way because it makes other people feel bad and it's an elitist kind of deal. If we don't believe that and God doesn't seem to act that way, how could he possibly work in a way of predestination without being an elitist God? This is the answer. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. Now we know that God knows all things. The Bible says he knows the end from the beginning. Which means, the Bible also says, he knew the number of hairs on your head before you were even in your mother's womb. So he's seen your entire life. Jesus Christ, the Bible said, was crucified for you from the foundations of the earth. So he saw the entire plan. He saw Adam and Eve. He saw Lucifer in the garden. He saw the fall. He saw the fruit. He saw the mandate. He saw the need for redemption. He saw the need for resurrection, which meant the need for the death of, of a sinless man. He see that, that he's going to send to see it. He saw all that from the beginning. The end from the beginning, including all of your life. So what are we seeing here in verse number 29? Seeing that God knew everything about you before... He predestined you. If he predestined you first and then knew, then we have a different issue. If he knew you first, that means he knew Trent's entire life. How old were you, Trent, when you accepted the Lord? Accepted the, accepted the Lord. I should have picked a younger person. Sorry, man. I don't mean to do that to you. I don't mean to do this. I'll use, uh, <laughs> love you. I'll use myself as an example. So I accepted the Lord at age 20, right before I turned 21, which really made a lot of my friends very angry. So I accepted the Lord um, like uh, April, May, no, yeah, May of um, the year it was before I turned 21. And my birthday was in June, so that was kind of a big deal. Um, and here's the thing, that, that means that God knew, according to the scripture, when I was going to accept him. It doesn't mean that God came down from heaven and forced me to accept him. It also doesn't mean that he created me in my, in my mother's womb to accept him and other people not to. It means that he could see my entire life before I was even in my mother's womb. And he knew, hey, because I foreknow people, I know that Thad Caltagaroni is going to accept me at age 20. So at age 21, right here on his timeline, I'm going to go ahead and put this destiny here. His destiny is to become a pastor. That's his calling. That's his destiny. Now, he put that on my timeline. Everybody say chronos. Okay, that's the Greek word for chronological timeline. He put that on my chronological timeline, my chronos, 
in the Bible before I was even born. He predestined, he gave me a destiny once he knew the decisions that I would make based on my own free will. Does that make sense to you? Okay, so let's read it again and see if that's what it says. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. That makes sense. To be conformed to the image of his dear son. So Peter wasn't wrong when he said that God is willing that all men should repent and come to the knowledge of God. That's true. He is willing, which means anybody can make that decision, but not all men will. But for those that that will make that decision, he placed the destiny on their their life. And you can read through the book of Romans. Uh, I don't remember what chapter on the top of my head. It might even be right here in in chapter 7 and 8. Um, there are some people that he knows will never accept him and he puts a destiny on their life as well. But the destiny on their life is going to glorify him by them being against him instead of them being for him. An example like Pharaoh. Pharaoh needed to have a hardened heart for the first nine plagues in order for the tenth plague to come and the children of Israel to escape and that story to be fulfilled. So he knew Pharaoh would never accept him. So he put a destiny on Pharaoh's life, not as a good vessel, but as a bad vessel that still within that realm and that story, God would be glorified through him. Does that make sense? He foreknows and then he predestinates to be conformed to the image of his dear son. So right here, we're talking about people of God because it's all good, right? Verse 28, Romans chapter eight, verse 30. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. Can I tell you a secret? You're called. You are called. Okay, God foreknew you. He knew you'd be here today. He knew you'd be where you were when you accepted him. So he put a destiny on your life. And the Bible tells me if he put a destiny on your life, he put a calling on your life. So you are called whether you know it or not. Some of us are the children of Israel walking around the wilderness. And we're going to reveal through this message today why that is and how you get out of that. We're going to reveal to you how to harness the power of God into your life. I'm telling you literally how you do it through this proximity of time. Going to reveal to you how time is measured in heaven where time doesn't exist. Going to reveal to you what that has to do with your life. Going to reveal to you how to exponentially increase the rate at which you walk into your destiny. Some of us are stuck in a rut. Some of us have been for a long time. And we need to realize what are we doing wrong or what can we do right? to accelerate the plan of God in our life because we only have so many days to accomplish it. I hope I can deliver it correctly because it was crazy to see this. I saw most of it last night. Me and Ted at Barnes and Noble, Ted and I at Barnes and Noble, as Ted was putting together the amazing uh, sermon graphic title thing you saw earlier for Proximity Part 2, I was starting to get all this. This was not the direction that I thought I was going to go. And, I, and I, I didn't, as I was getting it, I was saying it out loud to try to figure out how, what does this mean? And, and then Ted, at one point, he just threw his hands up like he was doing his deal. And he got out of his seat and he realized his Barnes and Noble he got back in his seat. And he tried to figure out if he should get out of his seat. And then he was like, just stop, stop for a second. This is crazy. So those whom he predestinated, he also called those whom he called. He also justified. And those who he justified them, he also glorified. Are you ready for this? Okay, because you can either be a mundane Christian the rest of your life, and that's okay, and we'll see you in heaven. We might have to come down a level to see you, but we'll see you. Just just kidding, sort of. And you can do that, and you can still make it there. Or you can realize that he put a destiny on your life, which means I don't care what television evangelist, 
um, what unheralded pastor, uh, what wannabe evangelist, what fake prophet, uh, what negative parent, what ill-speaking friend. I don't care who's said something to you or who's done it to you in your life, who's made you feel like you're less than or maybe not able to. But God said, I foreknew you and I predestined you, which means I called you and I justified you. Now, if you'll accept it, I'm going to glorify you and my glory will be shown in you. Amen. So when we're talking about the nearness of time, there are two main words in the Greek Bible for time. There's the word chronos, which you've already familiarized yourself with to a degree. And there's the word kairos. That's K-A-I-R-O-S, if you're taking notes. I want to talk to you a little bit about this Greek word kairos. In rhetoric, kairos is a passing instant when an opening appears, which must be driven through with force if success is to be achieved. That's what kairos, that's part of what kairos means. When I studied this Greek word kairos for time, what I saw when I got into the lexicons was the longest definition I've ever seen for a Greek word that I've ever studied in the Bible up to this point. And I try to study a lot of Hebrew and Greek. This thing went on and on and on and on. In other words, this word kairos is so hard to explain in English. It's so intense and so multifaceted that it literally takes pages of notes from some of the smartest men that ever took Greek words and tried to explain them in English. It's unbelievable what's wrapped up in this word. And I think it's going to change the way you look at a lot of scriptures. Kairos is an ancient Greek word, meaning the right or opportune moment, the supreme moment. The ancient Greeks had two words for time, chronos and kairos. While chronos refers to chronological or sequential time, the latter or kairos signifies a time in between, a moment of indeterminate time in which something special happens. Everybody say kairos. In the New Testament, kairos means the appointed time and the purpose of God. The time when God acts. Example, Mark chapter 1, verse 15, the kairos is fulfilled. It differs from the more usual word, which is chronos. In Eastern Orthodox and Eastern Catholic churches, before the liturgy begins, the deacon exclaims to the priest, kairos to poesai to Cairo. It is time for the Lord to act. Indicating that the time of the liturgy or the time of the sermon is an intersection with eternity. Let me tell you a secret. I really want to take some time today. That's not the secret. I really, I really want to take some time. Is it okay if we take a little bit of time? As I really feel like this is gonna this is gonna help you. Here's the beginning of the secret. Excuse me. I was at um, a restaurant the other night. Actually, um, I'm not gonna lie to you. I was at Fogo de Chao, and uh, somebody say God is good. And so is Fogo de Chao. So we were there. And the reason I was there was um, because there, an apostle came into town who's been here once before. But I doubt you guys remember he just sat in the back and he didn't talk or, uh, up front or anything. Uh, very, very successful uh, man of, of ministry. Uh, he goes literally worldwide and plants churches and um, raises up leadership teams and pours into pastors in different nations and builds orphanages and schools and all kinds of stuff. He was coming from India on his way to Kenya, and he, he lives here, so he was here for a little while. He's a good friend of Omar Castillo's, so Omar was taking me out somewhere. Uh, here's the whole story. Omar works for a company that represents Microsoft, 
And Omar got a ticket to a Microsoft event at the at the Houston Museum of Fine Arts, like a partner's um, buffet, uh, like meet and greet kind of thing. And he called up Henry, who's the apostle, and he said, hey, I got you a ticket as well if you want to come with us. And Henry goes, you want to go where? And he said, he told him, he said, you want to go to a, a Microsoft event at the Houston Museum of Fine Arts for World Partners with a buffet? And Omar was like, yeah. And Henry goes, that's the nerdiest thing I've ever heard in my entire life. He goes, you're, you're not, I'm not letting you go to a Microsoft meeting at the Houston Museum of Fine Arts. He said, come with me, bring your pastor. We're going to Fogo de Chao. So he's like, all right, cool. So we went to Fogo. He had some other guys with him. Amazing because they sit us at the table that like nobody ever sits at unless they're super rich and famous. Uh, so apparently Henry goes in there every week and brings uh, when he's here and brings people with him and pays for everybody, which he did that night, which is amazing. Uh, very successful in way of ministry, very successful in way of stewardship, just lives out godly principles in a really successful way. Good guy to know. And um, we were sitting there telling stories back and forth. And he told me uh, we were getting into some some deep waters. And he told me a story that I wanted to share with you this morning. He said there were, I don't remember how many years ago, but uh, he was coming coming home and I'm good. Thank you. And um, he went into his his bedroom to lock the door and have some of his daily prayer time with the Lord you know, which can range from five minutes to 15 minutes to an hour if it gets crazy or whatever. And uh, he got down on his knees to pray and he said, the spirit of God dropped in his room to such a heavy degree that he couldn't literally felt like he couldn't get up off his knees. And by the time he got done praying, hours and hours and hours had passed and it was four or five a.m. in the morning. And he only got to sleep for a couple of hours before he got up the next day. But he said, I felt so refreshed. It was like I had been getting eight or nine hours of sleep for weeks in a row. And so he said, the next day I came home and had my prayer time again, walked in my, my room, locked the door. Same thing. Spirit of God dropped heavy. I couldn't move, prayed for hours, four to five a.m., only got a couple hours of sleep, felt great. The next day, he's wondering, OK, is this going to happen again? He's starting to kind of get used to it. This is kind of like his his thing now. You know, some of us go watch movies. Some of us go to to restaurants. Some of us go wherever to have our little our little time that we really enjoy something. This was becoming Henry's thing. He's like, I go in my room, lock myself in my room and just the presence of God overwhelming. Third day, same thing happens. So he said, the next day I came home and I was ready, ready to go. Like no thoughts other than that in my mind, ready, high and by to the wife, slap the kids on the back of the head, walk in the room and get down, lock it, ready to go. Start praying. God, I love you. Jesus, I love you. Blah, blah, blah. Like trying to, trying to work it in a little bit. And, and he said, and nothing was happening. And all of a sudden he tried to get like, you know, you know how how we can get sometimes we're really, really praying, trying to pray hard and getting into that presence of God and break through our flesh, whatever you want to call it. And he was like, it just wasn't happening, man. Nothing, nothing. And he said, so I stood up and I, at first I wanted to ask God, what's up, you know, and then I just said, you know what? I don't have to feel you like that every day to love you and to follow you. So I thank you for the time uh, that, that you did that for me the past three days. And he said immediately when he saw that, an angel appeared in his room. And he was like, it was weird because it was like really small angel. But when I, I kind of looked at it funny and it said, bow before the king with a voice of like a 20 foot angel. <coughs> bow before the king. And he said, I was frozen in place, got a little bit scared and was like, kind of like, yes, sir. in his spirit and turned around to get down on his knees and when he turned around, he saw feet and he knew immediately as he was dropping to his knees, it was the feet of Jesus in his room. And he said he tried to look up at him and he could see the entire silhouette, but couldn't really make out his face. And he said it was like the weirdest 
It sounds bad, but it was in a good way. Like every sin that he had ever committed, everything he'd ever done come flooding to the front of his mind, like seeing his life flash for his eyes, kind of. And immediately he just felt like, Lord, why are you here? I'm not worthy to have you. You shouldn't be here. Like I need to, to I need to back out of here. Like this is not, I shouldn't be here before you just totally un, un, unworthy type feeling or whatever. But he said at the same time, he didn't feel bad. And he was, he was doing all this and kind of groveling a little bit before the Lord. And he said, Jesus spoke three words to him. Encourage my brethren. That's all he said. Encourage my brethren. And then they stayed there for a moment. Trying to figure out what to say back, if anything. And he looks up and gone. Gone from his room. So then he's trying to figure out that that really just happened. Was that in my head or did that just like physically happen? And so he backs out of his out of his room or is trying starting to back out of his room. And he goes back to the spot where Jesus was standing just for whatever, probably looking for some evidence. And he gets back to the spot right where Jesus was. And he said the anointing and the presence was so powerful that it's like he walked into a force field. It literally knocked him back on his rear end. And he was like, oh, my gosh. And he got up and tried to walk there again and it knocked him back again. He said it stayed like that in his room for a number of days where he could not approach that spot. That's pretty amazing. It made me immediately think of the scripture that tells us, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man, the things that he has prepared for those that love him. The next scripture after that says, but he has revealed it to us uh, by his spirit. But that's only revealed in part. And that's just Jesus standing in somebody's room. When we get up to heaven, and the Bible says there's no light because he's the light thereof. And eventually there's no temple because he houses all the people and we are in him and he is in us. And this whole thing is going on. I have no idea how to explain to you how it's going to feel. But apparently Henry had a great time doing nothing but praying for hours and hours and hours and didn't even know that the time had passed. And it's like the song, as cheesy as it may sound, I can only imagine when they say, will I stand in your presence or will I fall down to my knees? Apparently, we're not really going to have an option. The, the magnification of the power in his presence is unreal. Unreal. Why am I telling you that? Well, two reasons. First, I want to take those words that he said to Henry. Encourage my brethren. And I want to encourage you this morning. I want to encourage you. You have destiny. You have calling. You have justification. And you're able to walk and stand in his glory, at least for a moment. The title of the sermon, Temporal Eternity. This is the other reason I wanted to share that story with you. Jesus lives in eternity. But he showed up in that room. In front of Henry, who is only here for a fleeting second. The Bible says life is vapor swift. We think of eternity as being present with God on the other side in the next life. We think of eternity as when we get to heaven. But here's the secret that I wanted to tell you. Eternity is right now. It's right now. Your eternity has already begun. The soul that lives inside of your flesh is the same soul that's going to heaven. That thing's already alive and it is never going to die. It is already eternal. The thing that you're waiting on is to shed this outer layer so you can walk into the presence of God in your glorified form and live like that forever. And I'm looking forward to that. But the etchings of your works 
and the eternal realm of heaven and the eternal presence of God have already begun. Your story is being written right now. And it starts out with a predestiny and it moves on to a calling and it talks about a justification. And God wants to see in the middle of it all, good, bad or in between, what are you going to do for him? What are you going to do for him? This right now is temporary, but it echoes in eternity. It is a temporal eternity. Kairos indicating the time of sermonage and liturgy as an intersection with eternity. In the interpretation of history, neo-Orthodox Lutheran theologian Paul Tillich made prominent use of the term. For him, Kairos are those moments of crisis in history which create an opportunity for and demand an existential decision by the human subject, i.e., such as the coming of Christ being a prime example. Kairos, according to the lexicons, is a pre-appointed period to the purpose of God that must elapse before the divine kingdom could be founded by Christ. I want to read that again. The pre-appointed period to the purpose of God that must elapse before the divine kingdom could be founded by Christ. Romans chapter 5, verse 6. For when we were yet without strength, in due time, everybody say Kairos. In due Kairos, Christ died for the ungodly. What am I trying to tell you this morning? You live right now on this earth and you live on a chronological timeline. We're going to get a little bit scientific here in a minute. Are you with me? That's why I brought my glasses. All right. These are science glasses. I put these on and I see formulas and stuff. It's awesome. You live on a chronological timeline and those of us that are not scientists and those of us that uh, are not, uh, don't have an advanced education in that realm. We're just taught from day one that a chronological time scale starts when, for instance, for your life when you're born and it's a straight timeline until you die. And on that chronological timeline, certain things happen. However, Einstein showed us that that example is faulty. Okay. On a chronological time scale, it's, it's really, uh, don't want to use that word. It doesn't make a lot of sense to project a straight line as a chronological time scale when you live on a curved plane. Does that make sense? You live on a round planet inside of a curved universe in which things orbit each other in circles. And we talk about how time exists as a straight line. That doesn't make any sense. What Einstein showed us through his theory of relativity, or the beginning of his theory of relativity, is that the, the time-space continuum has a curvature to it. And light doesn't even travel in a straight line. But there's another force out there in the, unifor in the universe called gravity that affects uh, the direction of light, affects the pull of time, and everything actually travels in some type of a roundabout circle. Can I share with you something this morning? Your God said in his word that he understands the end from the beginning. This is going to help you. Are you ready? He understands the end from the beginning. He said in Ecclesiastes, what has been shall be. And then Solomon continued to write and said, like the wind, it starts here, it follows its circuits, and it winds up back where it started. Like the water and the rivers that flow into the ocean, evaporate into the clouds, comes back over, rains down onto the earth, flows back into the rivers, back into the ocean, so on and so forth. Everything works in a cycle. Right? So in this 
cyclical world that we live in, time doesn't travel in a straight line, but it travels in a curvature. And a chronological time scale is actually a complete circle. And it ends exactly where it begins. As kind of a funny little anecdote, God shows us that if we live for a very long time. Because we come into this world in diapers, can't talk, don't have any teeth, can't feed ourselves, don't know anything. And if we live long enough, that's what we look like when we go out. It ends the same way that it begins. God has a sense of humor. I asked for the anointing of Moses. Take me out while I'm at my peak. I'm going to do like John Elway. Two Super Bowls and I'm out. Right? I don't want to do Brett Favre. No, do John Elway. Uh, anyway, so here we are on this, on this time scale. And it is not a straight line. It's, it's a curvature. It's a circular line. What has been shall be. It's going to get good in a second. So I want you to imagine a circle in your mind, and that's your life. The circle of life. See, Walt Disney knew about it. Now you know about it. The circle of life. On that circle, there's, that's Kronos. Everybody say Kronos. But the supernatural, miraculous measurement of time is Kairos. Everybody say Kairos. Kairos is a time scale that the way that we think, we think heaven's above and God's above and all that. We've talked about before how that's impossible because if you're standing at the North Pole and you point up, and you stand at the South Pole and you point up, you're pointing two different directions. So really it's just out, but we'll call it up. So if God's up and God's above, then the Kairos time scale comes from above down to the Kronos time scale. In other words, it's a line that extends from Kronos up to God. And what God's saying in his word is that because I foreknew you, I predestined you. In other words, on your chronological time scale, I have created Kairos moments. And they're already there. They're little moments that you have to take advantage of, that you have to drive through with great force in order to find uh, success. God is the best one at doing this. And he shows us in the scripture right, right here in the word of God, where it says, Romans chapter 5, verse 6, For when we were yet without strength in due kairos, Christ died for the ungodly. In other words, he sent Jesus right when Jesus was needed. Amen. He didn't send him after Adam because it wouldn't have got the job done that he wanted to get done. He didn't send him down with Moses because it wouldn't have worked out that way. He didn't send him 5,000 years from creation because too many souls would have been missed. He didn't send him 3,000 years from creation because the timeline wouldn't have played itself out yet. The Kairos is only effective when it meets the Kronos where it's supposed to be. So in your life, my friend, right now you are walking on a chronological time scale. Maybe you said a prayer. Maybe you said, God, I really want to understand my calling. And you woke up the next day and you had no idea what your calling was. And you're like, I don't understand. The Bible says, if I ask anything in his name, not asking him this upon myself, my own lust, that he will hear me. He will answer me, especially if I'm praying things for his kingdom. To God, I, I need a new job, not because I want to be rich, because I want to provide for my family. I want to be a good tither. I want to be able to support to ministry, things like that. You wake up the next day, the next week, you don't have a new job. Where's God at? Where's God at? Maybe you've said a prayer for your family and it hasn't been answered. Maybe you said a prayer for your health and it hasn't been answered. And share with you a little secret. On a chronological time scale, God is everywhere at the same time. He's omnipresent. 
He's in the past, the present, and the future. He sees your whole life. It's just one big circle to him. And when you say, God, I need this, he answers from heaven, and there's a a lightning strike of Kairos time that comes down and hits your Kronos time scale. Now, it might not have hit it the day after you prayed. It might be a little bit further down the line for you. For God, it's all the same deal. But sometimes when you pray, God answers your prayer and he can't wait for you to walk into that answer on your chronological time scale because he's got this Kairos moment. And when Kairos and Kronos meet, it's like an explosion of God's glory. So it's not that he hasn't answered you. He's already answered you. How do I know? Because he knows what you have need of before you even ask. And he answers it before you even ask. But you have to walk it out. I went up to the hospital and laid hands on my friend Justin the day that he got sick and he didn't get better. So I laid hands on him that night and he didn't get better. So I went up and laid hands on him the next morning and he didn't get better. So I went and laid hands on him that night and he didn't get better. So I went and laid hands on him the next morning and the doctor said some things have worked out. But at this point, he's probably not going to survive. It's just in God's hands. Doctor said that surgeon said that if anything happens, it's because of God at this point. I like that. His mom got a little upset. His brother got a little upset. I'm not exaggerating when I said that sounds good to me. So we went into his room, put our gowns on, our gloves on, you know, all of our infectious bacteria stuff. Laid hands on him. And he didn't get better. Went back the next day, laid hands on him. Doctors say, look, we're not sure, but it looks like he's getting a little better. All right. But he didn't get healed. So I went that night, laid hands on him again. The doctors say, we're going to move forward with another thing that we didn't think we we're going to be able to do because it looks like he's getting a little bit better. So we went the next day and laid hands on him, went up there that night and laid hands on him. Long story short, 12 days and nights, twice a day of going up there and laying hands on that kid. And by the 12th day, the doctors were like, it's crazy. The infection stopped. We cut it out. It's no longer moving. His lungs look good. His liver looks good. His kidneys look good. Every, every, when he started getting better, they would come up to us and tell us, and we kind of knew what they were doing. They would tell us the next thing that needs to be healed. So we, the infection stopped, and, but now we needed to, uh, to be able to go and, and cut it out and have a successful surgery. We'll pray for that. The surgery was good. But his lungs are artificially uh, pumping with air. His kidneys are dialysis every day. His heart's artificially pumping and his liver's almost shot. We're praying for organs. Actually, they left the heart out. I don't know why they did that. We prayed for all of this. And then a few days later, dialysis got moved back to three days a week. Liver's looking good. Want to take him off the ventilator for his lungs. Took a couple days to get that done. The ventilator came off. Lungs look good. Liver is, is right where it should be. They're talking about dialysis being done indefinitely. And now they say, but he's having a problem with his heart. Okay. So we start praying for the heart. A few days later, heart looks good. Lungs are hundred percent. Liver's fine. No more dialysis. Moved out of the ICU. My, my point is we could have just went up there and laid hands and said, God, it's, it's up to you. It's according to your will, either heal him or, or I guess what we're saying, if we're saying it's just your will is maybe you want to kill him. So whatever you want to do, either way, we support you, God, and whatever your decision is. And uh, God bless you and God bless his family and let, let something good come out of the situation, so on and so forth. We could have done that and not gone back. I'm not that kind of a prophet, but I can almost guarantee you he wouldn't have gotten better to the degree that he is. Or we could say, man, we've been praying. God's heard from heaven. The Kairos has already been sent down. The Kronos just has to be walked out. 
So if we keep walking that Kronos, we're going to run into that Kairos and everybody in that hospital is going to see the glory of God. And that is what happened. God is good. We measure time here in Kronos, which in the Greek is quantitative. Everybody say, how much? And there or in heaven, we measure it in Kairos, which is qualitative. Everybody say, how good? It's all about quality time. If you want to walk in a godly manner, your mind has to switch from not how much can I do for the Lord, but how well can I do for the Lord? That's Kairos. Kronos is how much can I do? Kairos is how well can I do? That's the way that we have to think. Which also speaks to me and says, there's a way to measure time where time doesn't exist. A little nugget about heaven. The Bible says we're going to have three big feasts a year, four minor feasts a year, even on the other side. But if we're talking about eternity and the Bible says that God is light and at light speed, time ceases to exist, which is part of the definition of eternal time does not pass. So there is no more chronos. How do we know when anything is going to happen in heaven? If we're supposed to have a feast and time doesn't exist, how do we know what when is? And what the Bible is saying, it's not measured in Kronos in heaven. It's measured in Kairos in heaven. In other words, heaven is so full of events. Heaven is so full of things to do. Heaven is so full of new things. We won't be talking about, I'll meet you there in 10 minutes. We'll be talking about, I'll meet you there after the Levitical choir comes and we have our interview with Michael the Archangel and they show us how they fly around and all the tricks they can do when Jesus comes down and transfigures himself before us. After that will be the feast. It's like if I were to tell you right now, uh, meet me at the movies after the guy that's eating his hamburger uh, looks at the bird that flies overhead. Okay, I'll be there. You can't do that here because here you're on a chronological time scale. There you're on a Kairos time scale and it's so much better. It's not about how long, it's about how amazing. I'm going to share some scriptures with you that talk about Kairos and see how this changes a little bit of what the Bible says. Matthew 8, 29, And behold, they cry out, saying, What have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God? This is where Christ comes up and begins to cast out devils. And they say, What are you doing with us? Have you come here to torment us before the Kairos? That's different than the Kronos. In other words, there's an appointed time where Christ is going to torment the demons. They knew it because they live in that spiritual realm. He knew it. Have you come here before the Kairos? Matthew chapter 13, verse 30. Talking about the harvest. Let both grow together until the harvest. And in the Kairos of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, gather the first tares and bind them in bundles and burn them and gather them to my barn. Things are set at an appointed time, a Kairos. Matthew 16, verse 3. In the morning, this is a big one for us. This is Jesus talking about our discernment as Christians. In the morning, it will be foul weather, you say, for the sky is red and lowering. Oh, you hypocrites, you can discern the face of the sky, but can you not discern the signs of the Kairos? The signs of the Kairos. What does that mean? That means God gives us signs about the appointed times and the appointments that he has in our life. He's not asking us to discern the hour He's asking us to discern the event. 
You understand? In other words, he's saying you can look up to the sky and you can understand the weather. And so many of us think that that the next verse means, but you can't discern when God's going to do something. He's not asking you to discern when he's going to do something. He's asking you to discern what he's going to do. Kairos. Does that make sense? And does that make more sense where he's saying, oh, you hypocrites and oh, you fools? Because who can know when God's going to do something? A prophet. But who can know what God's going to do in their life? Somebody that's called. So in other words, that's Jesus reiterating. You're known, you're predestined, and you're called. If you can discern the weather, you need to be able to discern what God's doing in your life. You need to be able to discern what comes next. And we're going to help you with that in a minute. The Bible tells us a couple times in the book of Psalms that God gives us the desires of our heart. And a lot of times we take that to mean that whatever our heart's desire is, God's going to give it to us. But I don't believe that's what the scripture's saying. Sometimes, sure. But what if your heart's desire is evil and wicked above all things, like the Bible says that it is? He's certainly not going to give you that. So it's not that what's on your heart is what you're going to get. It's that the desires that, that are godly came from him. In other words, I gave you those desires that are on your heart. Not the desires that are on your heart I'm going to give you. He put those desires there because it is a method and it is a miraculous method. Are you ready for this? The devil doesn't understand your kairos. He understands kairos, but he doesn't understand your kairos. He does understand your chronos. In other words, the devil has plans to tear you down. And his plan to tear you down might be tomorrow. His plan to really end it for you, his plan to really deliver the knockout punch might be next week. And he can understand that, but he can't understand that next week God has already prepared a Kairos and that Kairos will overcome that Kronos. So right when the enemy is trying to put more on you than you can bear, God has a way to give you a way out, miraculous, spiritual, miracle working power to find your way out of the mess that you find yourself in. The desire that's on your heart, God gave that to you. He gave that to you through Kairos time. Galatians 6, 9, let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due Kairos we shall reap if we faint not. Can I read that to you again? And let us not be weary in well-doing, Galatians 6, 9. Let us not be weary in well-doing. How many of you feel weary sometimes? Rhetorical, you don't have to raise your hand. Let us not be weary. Let us not be weary in well-doing. How can we sustain this walk? How can we sustain this fight in due Kairos? If you understand that God has already set it in motion, that it is already on your chronological time scale. You don't have to grow weary in well-doing. Just wait for your Kairos moment and you will reap if you do not faint. Peter began to say unto him, verse number 28, Mark chapter 10, verse 28. Peter began to say unto him, lo, we have left all and we have followed thee. Is that your testimony? And that's not accusatory. It is your testimony. Rhetorical. Now, you may not have left everything behind, but you've answered the call to follow him. Peter's call was to leave everything behind. That might not be your call. Verse 29, Jesus answered and said this very amazing words. Truly, I say unto you, there is not a man that has left his house, his brother, his sister, his father, mother, his wife, children, his lands for my sake and for the gospels, except that he shall receive a hundredfold now 
in this kairos, houses, brethren, sisters, mothers, children, lands, persecutions, and the world to come and eternal life. In other words, if you've sacrificed, he's already created a moment where you shall benefit and you shall reap and you will receive that. This life and the life to come. This is where we get a little bit scientific. This is where I hope it helps you understand. This is where we talk about harnessing the, the power of God in your life and how you really make that happen, so to speak. So if Cairo's time is, starts up here, and the point of Cairo's time is to bring it down here to the Kronos circle, what is the force that God has provided in this universe that brings things that are up down? Gravity, right? As an interesting side note, gravity is one of four forces that we know about in quantum mechanics and astrophysics that, 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 can, that keep the entire universe working. Gravity, electromagnetic force, those are the big ones. The small ones inside of an atom, strong nuclear force and weak nuclear force. Why is that important? Because it's the number four. And those four things work to keep the entire universe working together. The entire universe is made out of subatomic particles at the base. Of subatomic particles, there are exactly four families of four particles, 16 particles in all. Why is that important? Because that splits it up into a family of four particles, four particles, four particles, four particles, and four forces that keep all the particles together. Why is that important? Because it creates the number 4444, which is the same number as the word God appears in the King James Bible 4,444 times. And of course, God is the creator of all things and he keeps all things together. So when we're talking about the gravitational force being of God, that's not just a God created everything and so he must have put gravity. He put numbers in that stuff. And the things that he created, he created for a reason. And he created and they speak of him. The Bible tells us that in Romans chapter 1, verse number 20. The invisible things of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that he made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. We understand him who we can't see by the things that he made. Are you with me? Micro machine man. We're going to get through this. So we're talking about gravity right now. We know that gravity is what takes things that are up and brings them down. Kairos is up. Kronos is down. So what is it about gravity that attracts a Kairos moment to a Kronos life? Are you ready? Gravity is what's called an inverse square law. An inverse square law means that if you were to take the moon, for an example, that has a gravitational pull on the earth and you were to move it twice as far away as it is right now, it would follow naturally that it would only be half as powerful. Does that make sense? Twice as far away, half as powerful. You increase the distance by two, you decrease the force by half. But in an inverse square law, something different happens. Whenever you, that distance multiplies by two, if it's twice as far away, it's actually only one-fourth as powerful, not one-half. Because of the way that it works, and I don't want to get into the, the deep math or science of it, you have to take the square of the surface area of the moon and you have to square the radius and get the whole anyway. So it's just stuff that you just, it's boring and you get lost in it. Just take my word for it or Google it. Uh, the gravity is an inverse square law. Why is that important for us to recognize? Because inverse means upside down, right? Inverse means backwards. Okay? Now let's go back and talk about the God that we serve. I understand the end from the beginning, God says. What has been shall be. What goes around comes around. A man will reap what a man sows. There's no new thing under the sun. He's a God that works backwards. How do we know that? 
Because he says, I understand the end from the beginning. Do you think God knew how all the languages on the earth would be written? You think it's coincidence that his language is written backwards? Hebrew reads from right to left instead of left to right. He's the God that works backwards on purpose. He's the God that works opposite on purpose. Everything in the spiritual realm works opposite of how things work in the physical realm. Gravity is an inverse square law. That means if you want to attract the Kairos moments of God that live up here down to the Kronos moments of your life, you have to work in reverse. It proves the truth that if you want to receive, you need to give. Why is that? Because that attracts godliness to your life. Because Kairos is up here and Kronos is down here. And gravity is an inverse square law. And the closer that you can attract godliness to your life, it will exponentially increase the power of that force. And you'll begin to walk into your destiny at a much quicker rate than you did before. Let me see if I can prove it to you with the biblical story. You ready? The children of Israel, you didn't say you're ready. I'm going to assume you are. The children of Israel were stuck in a land called Egypt. And God called them out of Egypt. And he said, I've got a land for you that flows with milk and honey. And it's only a three to seven day journey away. But you have to walk there on your Kronos so you'll be able to see my Kairos. Are you with me? I have a moment for you. I have a moment of escape. I have a moment of promise. Everybody say, I, I want, want God's, God's promise. promise. You want that for your life. God said, I've got a moment of promise for you. You just got to walk a little bit further on your Kronos. And you're going to run right into my Kairos. And the glory of God's going to explode in your face. And it's going to get all over you. And it's going to be awesome. So here they go. They're walking through the wilderness. Going along that Kronos. He sends out the spies to go spy out the land. And the majority of them don't understand that they serve a God who works backwards. And if you want to attract the promises and the power of God to your life, you have to walk according to the way that God walks. So they go there and they see... There are giants in the land, and there's no way that we can beat these giants. They're huge. They're numerous. Yes, God said, this is where I have your Kairos, but he doesn't understand we can't fight these guys versus understanding that if they went there and there were no enemies or the enemies were small in number and they could defeat them in their own power, God didn't do anything. That's not how God works. Do you, is it starting to assimilate into your life? In other words, if you've asked God for something, if you've prayed for something and he's put a Kairos moment there for you to receive, you can just about bet that along the way you're going to encounter some things that don't look godly. God couldn't have possibly heard my prayer. God couldn't have possibly put that in my life. God's going, you don't understand. My son, if you want to be exalted, you've got to be humble. If you want to be strong, you've got to get weak. If you want to be powerful in me, you have to be weak in your own self. So they're walking their chronological time scale. Everybody say it's a circle. They walk into their Kairos moment and they can't receive it. Two out of the 12 did, but the majority didn't. When they could not receive their Kairos moment, what happened? For 40 years, they walked in a what? Circle. Why? Because they got stuck on their Kronos. And that's what Kronos is. It's a circular time scale. And it ends where it begins. The children of Israel started out in the land that God said is their promise. 
That's where their forefathers began. They already had that land a long time ago. Then they gave it up and got enslaved. And God said, well, I got a promised land for you. It's the land that you already had. But it's changed a little bit. What Einstein theorized that if you could look around a curve far enough of your own timeline, eventually you'd be looking back at yourself. But it wouldn't be yourself now. It'd be yourself in the future. And yourself in the future would be changed. Yourself in the future, hopefully, would be better. So they got back to the land where they started, but before it didn't really flow with milk and honey. So even though the enemies were in the land, they inadvertently increased the value of the land. And now God says, go back to the land and I'm going to give you the power to overcome the enemy. And this Kairos moment is going to explode in your face and it's going to be awesome. Instead, they say, I don't know. That Kairos looks kind of tough to receive. So they get stuck in their chronos. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 11. And the worship team can go ahead and come up. Chapter 11, verse 11, through faith, Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past Kairos. Because she judged him faithful who had promised. Here's a word of encouragement for you. Have you missed your Kairos moment? You probably missed a couple of them. You probably missed a couple of them. I can I can give you detailed. There was a time when God put a moment in my life, a Kairos moment that I could have taken advantage of. At the time, I was working down here, right here at Carabas, right over here on Bay Area, at night, and Starbucks in the day. I'm telling you the God's honest truth. And Starbucks during the daytime. I didn't understand any of this that I'm teaching right now. And I didn't take advantage of a Kairos moment. I started to, but didn't quite. And I moved myself up to the humble area to start trying to serve more in the church where I was at. But in honest to God's goodness, like that church was never going to let me serve the way that I should have been serving. And I had moments to go serve somewhere else. And I thought I'd be a bad saint if I did that. I was taught at that church. If you leave, you're basically like not going to heaven. So I definitely don't want to leave. So then um, stayed there. And guess a couple of years later, guess where I was working up there in the humble area after I went through all this change and all this stuff. Starbucks and Carabas. I went up to Kingwood Carabas, got a job because what I thought was going to work out didn't work out. Wasn't quite enough money, so I went to a new Starbucks they were opening, and I got on there. I didn't even realize it, man. I'm telling you guys on the truth. I was at Starbucks one day making a, making a coffee drink, and it hit me. I was like, oh, my God. Here I am years later, and I, I'm, I'm doing the same thing. Not because I got transferred and wanted to keep doing the same thing. Some, I went a different way, but then that Kairos moment looked too difficult, and guess what happened? I went right back to my Kronos. Starbucks and Carabas. Sad. But I met my wife at that church. Her family was still at that church. So we stayed, I stayed there, and I thought that at the time when I finally realized I missed something, that I missed something. But Hebrews 11 says, through faith, Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child well past her kairos. Because she judged him faithful who had promised. So Edgewater Church is two years old. In God's perfect plan, maybe it's supposed to be four. Maybe I should have been here sooner. Maybe I missed something. I don't know. But I counted God faithful. And past my kairos, he delivered something to me anyway. So if you've been stuck on your chronos, if you've been stuck in a rut and you've been stuck in a circle, you've got to work backwards. You've got to realize when something looks hard, it's easy for God. 
When something looks humiliating, it will end in your exaltment. When it looks like it's, there's too much that you have to give here, there's going to be a whole lot for you to receive. And if you don't take advantage of that Kairos, you'll be walking that Kronos circle forever. You'll still get to heaven, but you won't be able to enjoy this as much. Verse 15 says, truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had the Kairos to have returned. That word is opportunity in English. The word in Greek is Kairos. And it's talking about the story that we're talking about. They might have been able to grab onto that Kairos if they had been mindful of the place that they came from. First Peter chapter 117. First Peter chapter 117. We're going to end with this thought. This is the only scripture we have this morning that talks about Kronos time. And it says, if you call on the Father who without respect of persons, 1 Peter chapter 117, if you call on the Father who without respect of persons judges according to every man's work, pass the chronos of your sojourning here in fear. Which, of course, means respect. Respect of God. Not a spirit of fear, obviously, but respect of God, which is called fear of God in the Bible. So if you miss your kairos, are you with me? If you miss your moment, if you miss your miracle, the answer is keep walking that chronological time scale. Keep walking that chronos walk with great reverence and respect for the God that you serve. And if you do that, you can look back at Hebrews chapter 11, which happens to be the faith chapter. And you can see how Sarah, she missed it a little bit, but past her kairos, she still got an amazing promise. The Kairos came back around because that's the goodness of the God that you serve. He doesn't want you to dwell on the past. I don't want you to dwell on the past. He doesn't want you to think about the things that you missed. He wants you to realize there are things that are coming. Stand to your feet with me if you would. I asked you at the beginning of this message if you'd rather be a every Sunday morning, which would be great, every Wednesday night, which would be great. All the extra services you can make, which would be great. Do you want to be that mundane Christian who comes to everything and who we greatly value because at least you are committed? Or do you want to try to go to the next level? Because right now, I know almost all of you in here well enough to know that your Kronos walk is great. I don't want to serve, I don't want to be a pastor of a Kronos church. I want to pastor a Kairos church. I want to hear the testimony. I want to see the miracles. I want you to get a hold of your calling. I want you to walk that thing out. I want to watch God justify you in the face of those who think you can't do it. I want to watch him glorify you in the face of those who think you're not able. I want to see him work through you. I want to see his glory. I want to see his light. I want to see his anointing. I want the testimony of a church full of people who love God, serve God, and God is able to work through and with. Because if we can do that, then we're walking on a Kairos time scale. And it's so far above a Kronos that people won't even know what's going on. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. But Jesus said, I've called them to sit with me in heavenly places. He's calling you right now above the world of the mundane. He's calling you out of your chronological, circular, over and over repetitive day-to-day routine and walk. He's doing it right now, but you have to receive it. If you're in the middle of a hard situation, 
That's the best time to look around and say, okay, God, I'm not going to run. I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to point my finger and blame you. I'm not going to do the pity party thing. I'm not going to turn my back on anybody. I'm right here standing at the Jordan River. I see the giants. Tell me how to do this thing. And I'll do it. Give me that Kairos moment. Give me that Kairos. It's going to cost a little bit, but it's going to be worth it. You know, Jesus said, I give you authority to trample on scorpions and serpents. I give you the power. That's exousia in the Greek. That's what you have on your chronological time scale. You have that power. You have the authority to tread on scorpions and serpents against all the wiles of the enemy. In other words, that means you have the authority to speak in the spiritual realm and be heard. You have that authority on your chronological time scale. But after Acts chapter 2, when he delivers the baptism of the Holy Ghost, that word exousia is not used to describe your power anymore. It becomes a new Greek word called dunamis. Dynamite miracle working power. And if you will, you can, like I said, you can be on the chronos and get to heaven. No baptism of the Holy Ghost. If you don't want to do that, if you're not in the spiritual gifts and things like that, you can still get to heaven. And you can have authority to speak in the spirit and be heard. But if you want to reach that kairos, he said, I've got another level. I've got another level of power for you. And when you walk in that power, people aren't going to understand. See, on the Kronos, everybody speaks English and it's all good when they yell about Jesus and hallelujah. But on the Kairos level, people speak in tongues and everybody else freaks out. On the Kairos level, you cast out devils that other people take medicines for. And none of that's wrong. Don't misunderstand me. I take medicine too. That's not my point. On the Kairos level, the spiritual giftings are at work. On the Kronos level, you can still be part of them, but you might not fully walk in them or understand them. On the Kronos level, on the Kronos level, a denominational preacher can really inspire you. On the Kairos level, there are prophets. On the Kairos level, there are apostles. On the Kairos level, there are things that freak people out on the Kronos level. It's up to you. You can still get to heaven on Kronos. But it's going to be a little bit more fun. If you go ahead and step out and ask God to take you on a Kairos roller coaster ride, if you will. He's got it for you. He's known you. He's predestinated you. He's called you. He's justified you. He wants to glorify you. Amen. Is God good? Amen. God is good. Remember, gravity attracts him. And God's gravity happens when you walk backwards instead of forward.